Hey everyone, welcome to Vita Research Podcast. Today I'm joined by Brooks Brown, co-founder and CEO at Consortium 9, um, the creator of Noir Games. Brooks, thanks for joining the podcast. Um, I've I've been I've been listening to podcasts that you were guest on, and those were really entertaining podcasts for for me. Um, so it's a pleasure to have you on as a guest here. I'm I'm super jazzed for this. Uh, we we've had a fun time um, chatting, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where we end up. I'm glad you, I'm glad the podcasts were also entertaining for you. So it's good. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, can you um, briefly talk about your background and how did how you ended up building more games? Oh, good lord! Um, yeah, I'll, briefly, um, I'll try. I'll try. Um, I've I've had a very fortunate career. I, I come from the world of video games, but also before that from the world of like web and online production, I had digital sort of in general. And uh, over time, I sort of had worked my way into being in these weird series of positions where I'm not just someone who makes things when I was like on the web, building websites, building uh, online games. Uh, but when I tried to make the tradition to traditional games, I found myself pushed much more in a direction of at first marketing, because that was the easy way to sort of get in there, but then ended up in more business licensing, uh, 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 the a lot more of the like how things work versus how to make things uh, space. And uh, this sort of odd combination, I think is one of the underlying reasons I sort of ended up building a project that itself is very odd. It's um, so, so I ended up, uh, you know, I, without having a law degree, I'd be working on 60 page fucking contracts for some major brands. And then also at the same time, uh, the following year or two, I was winning Sundance and Tribeca as a director of VR pieces. So just very odd back and forth. And, uh, crypto is something I'd always been very fascinated by at least the ethos of, um, a lot of the implementation of crypto, I think as if you've seen my podcast, I have no issue or, or compunction saying that I think most of crypto has been a shame. I think the ideas behind it, I think the, the principles people believe in, or the ideas that are sold to people are fucking amazing. Um, and I, this project was born out of, uh, if I could pick one moment, it would be a clubhouse room, uh, back in clubhouse's awful app that was good for like a month and a half. And then like, who cares anymore? But th that month and a half, there were rooms that were really interesting because it was only people who were like humanly verified and friends of friends invited. So it was kind of an odd inner circle. And I ended up in a room that was like, pitch me your NFT game ideas. And I pitched the, I was one of the first people in and I pitched the guy at running. was like, let me on stage, if I can name like ways to do this game without it being crypto, <laughs> like then it doesn't count. And he's like, Ooh, that'd be fun. And uh, the answer, by the way, to two and a half hours of pitches is a database, uh, just a normal database, uh, just kind of solves most problems. Uh, people didn't really have an interesting idea. A lot of it was focused on, oh, you can, uh, you can have individual items. Yeah, well, we can do that. Well, you can own your items. Yeah, we can, we can do that too. That's uh, the same, same way that, you know, you own songs on iTunes. You can, that's a database that doesn't, we don't have to have it like this. Um, and one guy got really, really shitty with me, which is fair because I wasn't exactly being a kind person, um, and said, I should figure it out for myself. So, uh, rather than end up like Roger Ebert, who criticized films all his life and then made the worst 
Children of the Corn movie there is, um, I wanted to like, am I just the critic? So I downloaded SDKs for Flow and Wax, and I spent weeks just learning and fucking with and building shitty versions of chains and my own NFTs. And uh, um, one of the projects I built was a like junior Minecraft sort of prototype with a server that checked a wallet for if you had an NFT in your wallet. And uh, that was it. And it was this idea I had that, well, what if instead of, you know, pretending that items um, and things and all this other stuff is like falsely scarce, which I think is like the worst thing crypto does. What if instead we were to take the stuff that is actually scarce, you, and make you the NFT and kill you if you die, make this ultra permadeath version. And a handful of people I ran it by, it was very powerful for. And so I started expanding on the idea and slowly it started to take shape. I combined it with a bunch of my uh, sort of more esoteric readings of, you know, economists like Karl Marx. You don't, you don't get a lot of people in crypto talking about Marx, sadly. You should get more. It's, it's good writing. It doesn't matter what the, the conspiracy people say. It's good writing shit. And it's really explicit about how economies function. So I spent a lot of time sort of trying to marry, well, how do we do an economy, a proper setup, a decentralized thing? How can we apply that to games that changes stuff? And NOR came out of that. And essentially what NOR is, we like to say, uh, if you were redesigning the esports world right now, you'd be building NOR. We've done this odd thing where video games, uh, as they exist, uh, take Dota, Blizzard's Overwatch, uh, Counter-Strike, League of Legends, anything really, the eSport is owned by a product that doesn't exist in sports, uh, sports traditionally, uh, FIFA's not job is not to sell soccer balls. Like that's not how they work. Uh, their, their job is to, you know, look the other way in human rights abuses. That's how they get paid, but they, they need, they don't sell soccer balls. NBA doesn't sell basketballs. If they did, the incentive would be in a very different place for them to do everything. So instead, what if, we were to take a cue from them and have the games at the base owned by the people who make them, but have the surrounding economy be decentralized because that's one of the great flaws with esports as it is, is that the games themselves, cool, centralized, the surrounding stuff also centralized. That's why Overwatch League has very specific rules about everything. It's why Dota doesn't really give a shit about the international. If you didn't watch the international this year, it was not was really exciting. The teams were wonderful. They just don't give a shit. They don't care about it being like this amazing event, even to the level that FIFA cares about the World Cup. Um, and so this weird sort of change in incentive, as you start teasing out what that means, it can mean that games are actually able to change how they're financialized. They don't have to be making money by charging people to jump slightly higher, which is the thing they do, or to uh, speed up play, literally having people pay not to play your game, which is, I think, almost ironic. Um, but all of these things that we do now, get rid of it. Let, let's change how we monetize, change how it's set up, and let developers make money across the board. Let developers make money from things like Twitch, which, again, another thing that we've kind of got a broken system. People can stream and play your game and show that content off and you get nothing out of it as a developer. It's good word of mouth. 
uh, and anyone who's ever worked in social media is very aware of the influencer lie. Well, why don't you let me just stay at your hotel for free? I'll give you exposure. And it's like, yeah, exposure is worth something sometimes, but you know, that's revenue that is not going into the hands of people who could use it. Uh, so it's one of those things that I think it's time for us to sort of change how we monetize games, how they're set up and, Decentralized tech is kind of the best way to do it. So that's the short version. And I apologize because that was fucking really long. <laughs> and that was that was great. Thanks for sharing that. So you're, you're basically saying that um, right now you give the analogy of FIFA where, you know, FIFA makes money from the, the broadcasting and streaming deals, right? Mm -hmm. So from almost like sponsors plus... They're, I assume that they're also getting a cut from maybe gambling. If I don't know, they, they don't on, actually they not don't? with gambling. Okay. No, um, interesting. I mean, there there are there are licensors who yeah. like pay to license to have that as part of it. But like, if you go down to the the betting tracks, FIFA has some partnerships, not as many as people think. There's that entire secondary market of of, of speculation, everything that exists, that is so much larger. But in FIFA. Uh, like the NFL in the States, they exist more or less as a way to make sure that all the teams continue to be the teams. Uh, I, I, American football is what I grew up with. I'm, I'm not as familiar with the rest of the stories. So any analogies I use on it, I apologize. It's American focused. It's America. We don't know that the rest of the world exists until we're like 14. Um, the, the, the way that the NFL works is the same as FIFA is the same as the NHL or global hockey leagues or anything like that. You need to make sure that all the teams are surviving. You need to make sure that everyone is set up. You are the infrastructure. So teams, they can do a local deal, but you're actually setting up their international deals for them. So when they go out and they go, Hey, I'm going to do a Jersey sponsorship. Sure. But you're set up for that. You're built into that. And some of their revenue goes to other people who are part of that entire system. So if the NFL makes, and I think last year it was like eight and a half billion dollars, it's a nonprofit. The NFL doesn't make money. They then redistribute all that money to all of the stadiums, all the, all the teams that are underneath them and they do it evenly. And so you end up with this position where people like the Cleveland Browns, or when I was growing up, the Buccaneers, uh, who were the shittiest team. They were one of their awful. They'd get the same as like the Broncos where I grew up or the Patriots or the Cowboys. They get the same amount because you need all the teams to be functioning. You need this large ecosystem and they're aware of that. And you do that because eventually like this recently happened, the Buccaneers ended up turning out to be a pretty fucking good team recently. And they ended up winning, winning a little game or two. So that need and that regulatory body, that exists, what they're doing, and we don't talk about it like this, and there's a lot of things we don't talk about in this way, but they are designing the game. They are the developer of football. They say what the rules are. They say how the movement works. They are making mechanics. They set the mechanics of every single game. Uh, FIFA and all of them to the point where um, recently there was a scandal. It was a few years back where a team, I believe it was Zaire, uh, came to the World Cup, and they had a one-piece uniform rather than a two-piece. Genuinely, you could not have told the difference otherwise. But it was a scandal. 
because they're nuts about you can't do shit differently. You have to, everything has to be specific. People don't want to be able, you're confused. If you're on the field and you're running and someone is a slightly different silhouette out of the corner of your eye, that extra second or two that it takes for a person to recognize, oh yes, that's another player, that fucks with someone. They have rules about how advertisements can work in the stadiums because of this. Um, there's a lot of strange shit with it. Video games, we care the, literally the opposite. Our developers are behind the eight ball. They have to spend a fortune in order to compete in, in multiple ways. Either they're spending a fortune on art, so that way they can build a very large game to justify a $60 or $70 or $80 price tag, or 120 in some case, uh, because they have to hit such scale in order for them to make a profit that it's it's a nightmare for them. You end up with something like, and I, the new God of War is, is brilliant, but the number of people involved in these games is extraordinary. It, it puts to shame most films. And so once you're in that position, the only other direction is to have a fuck ton of people who are in metrics. Uh, the old joke, a friend of mine started a mobile games company. I was like, no, no, you started an analytics company that will have a games department because Every mobile game is really 92 quant people, a handful of metrics people, and the back-end team. And then you have a designer who's basically there to, I don't know, make it look like you're not trying to scam people. So you have these sort of two sides that are just a ton of people versus where developers really sit. And this is, this is true of not just games as an industry this is a lot of industries where you just have to throw so many people in order to justify huge price tags in order to justify huge profits what you want to make is a game and games at their simplest are things like soccer uh, football uh, or american football or baseball they're sword fighting their mechanics around that their mechanics around i uh, go with getting over it with bennett foddy it's very simple it's you've got a hammer that's the entire mechanic, but designed out and thought through. It doesn't take a lot of people. It takes actually only a handful to do most of these. The vast majority of these massive teams are because these games end up having to have 92 mechanics and 10 million pieces of content, and they have to continually monetize, and they have to be built within nine months or 10 months or two years. And this sort of nightmare is because we've worked ourselves into this place where we have to charge for the game. We're the opposite of, of general sports. And if we can switch that around and we can go, wait, what if games are skill-based again? Like really where they started actually and where the best and the most viral games come from are skill-based across the board. What if we just let that be the case? Smaller teams, they don't need as much money. They don't need the $40, $100 million. They need a couple million dollars a year, easy, maybe more, maybe big hits, great. But give them room where... People who play it expand it. The, the, the emergent economy is something that we can track, we can incentivize properly, and we can make sure that everyone's able to sort of share in that upside in every way, rather than just hoping at the end of the day you're able to build a, uh, speaking from personal experience, build a cover for a video game that tricks grandmothers at Walmart to thinking their son loves the new Star Wars game, which is the game they play. Okay. And and so your um, main argument is that you're saying, look, there are different traditional 
um, video game monetization methods, such as, you know, either it's like a, there's like a paid wall garden, you got to pay to play the game, like PC, traditional, um, or mm-hmm. um, free to play, but um, minority of the players are actually funding the development because you're making them buy these like microtransactions and cosmetics and, and skipping waiting time, et cetera. And you're not a huge fan of this, this model. Um, no, correct. And, and there's just another, like another monetization method is obviously esports, but it hasn't been um, successful in, in terms of the numbers, even though there's a lot of like people watching esports, the sponsor, the brand revenue hasn't been there. Um, and so, what are you building um, to, to solve these problems? How are you planning to monetize um, yeah. games and gaming audience? Yeah, that's basically what we're building is uh, we're taking the traditional sports economy and we're abstracting the different points of it. And we've spent we've spent years where I've spent, this is a thing I began working on for another project, like deconstructing how FIFA worked. Um, and we're taking those elements and abstracting them into a decentralized currency and a decentralized token setup. Uh, think of it as, um, uh, how do I put it? Um, give me a second. Um, so if you're, if you're sitting there and you're looking at everything that's happening inside of any of these sports, the way that we can actually make things sort of push back into is if we separate out that, uh, as you mentioned with the free-to-plays, uh, the whales. See, we didn't, we didn't in, in original games or traditional games, we don't really have whales. Uh, back If you go back to Nintendo days or really all the way up through like 20, 2008, uh, whales wasn't a thing. Whales came from free-to-play. And what whales showed us underneath it um, was that we were actually catering to two types of people. Uh, we're catering to the whales and the minnows, the people who don't have a lot of money and or don't want to spend it on video games. That's not where their major thing is. Um, or people who have far too much money and they want to spend it. What free-to-play did in that moment was sort of break a little bit because instead of going, oh, these two people exist, great. It hardened those lines and it went nuts. So we started looking at, for example, whales and we say, cool, we want to charge them as much money as we possibly can. These are people who have tons of cash they want to give us. But we also know we can't really do that because the easiest way to charge people all the money in the world is to make a pay-to-win game. But if I give you dump in a million bucks and you get to win versus someone who's got no money, that's how you get the guy to do it. That's the easiest way to trick a person, easiest way. And it works in the games that do it. It totally works in the games that do it. A Diablo Immortal, I think, is a... Great example of someone who there's a guy who put, I think, $110,000 into a single character and then made him. He doesn't he came and go into matchmaking anymore. He's put so much money in it's versus he came and play against other people who have money, which I think is funny, uh, but also sad because, again, that's taking advantage of this archetypal player. What we want to do is we want to say, cool, all of those people, the, they call them minnows. Let's not charge them anything. Let's not even make them part of this. And let's instead really put those, we call them metagamers. Uh, let's put the, the capitalist behind it all where they want to be, which is they want to be playing the game of capital. Uh, if, you, if you go watch Diablo Immortal streams where people who are, they call them swipers in any of these games, there are people who are swipers, go watch a Twitch stream. They don't brag about the same gameplay skills that traditional gamers do. 
Uh, and you can watch them side by side. The traditional gamer will be talking about, okay, so I've got these items and uh, I've, I've, I've macroed these keys. This is how I'm setting up. Or this gives me X amount more damage if I'm playing this way. It's not it. This is not the thing for the metagamer. The metagamer, um, one of my favorites was, uh, was on an Asmongold show. Um, they were talking about how much money they'd spent to get to a certain point. And that was their division is I spent less than you to get to the same place because, and the guy wrecked him. He was, I, I buy in Korea. I'm playing on the Korean servers. Why the fuck do you do that? Oh, the exchange rate. Plus they give you a different slightly costs over there. And he went like, it's just like fucking destroyed him. That, that guy, he doesn't give a fuck about Diablo. Diablo is the vehicle that he's able to play these other games in this, this other meta game of how all these things work. So that's what we do is we take those meta games, we separate them from the core game. Core game completely free. You play. We have an account system and you are, like I mentioned earlier, you are the NFT. And it's not tradable, but it's where your stats are collected. We you can play games for free. Go have fun. There's no pathways to purchase. There's no buying items that affect gameplay. You'll never see a vanity item in game on us. Like we don't do any of that shit because it's not where we think the money is to be made. Take it to the next level where it's the people watching, the people who are, oh, I actually think that guy's good. I want to play a fantasy football-like experience, which all these guys fucking do. All of them do. We let them. We basically have you as the players, if you play games, and the metagamers watching, and then they get to be agents, team owners. They, they get to be uh, the guy who owns the sponsorship tower, the advertising tower. They get to be the ones who handle broadcast rights because there's only a handful of broadcast rights in the game because we're making those scarce and interesting, just like they are in real sports. Um, just taking the cues from how FIFA works, how all these things work, and building them out. Um, and that, that goes all the way down to how our token operates all the way up through how our streaming rights operate. The streaming rights is, a, I think, a really interesting, specific place. We're not stopping anyone from streaming their own game. Like, you're free to do what you want to do. But there are a handful of streams in each game that are broadcast out that are 100% way better because they're not player views. They're controlled, directed cameras that you can place, that you can show, oh, I want this camera here when these people are running by in this area. Or if it's just imagine Fortnite with actually having a handful of cameramen or Dota with being able to move the camera beyond just the player view. That these things change how people can watch. It makes the watching experience better. It makes the broadcasting experience specifically not only better, but it also makes it scarce, which means that if you want to see the good stream, you got to watch my stream. And my stream suddenly worth something, which makes it worth something to everybody. And because it's tokenized, we know where it's being used, how much it's costing, people being able to sell it. And we actually can commoditize these things that are necessarily needed to in order to monetize the best parts of the game without breaking the game. Because that's what we do right now is we basically have to break a game in order to monetize it. And we want to protect gameplay at pretty much all costs. And that's true for also the metagamer. It's not just the player at the base, because um, a lot of people laugh and shit on whales. But uh, to me, it's like easily the most abused class of game of gamer. People don't like it when I say that, especially players, because they think they are. Then they are. Everyone gets fucked with. It's bad. You go play pretty much any of these, uh, you know, garbage things, especially in the play to earn world. Uh, players definitely are deeply exploited inside of that. I've 
it's hard for me to say otherwise. But instead, what I'm encouraging people to realize is if you go and you watch people who play Diablo Immortal, people who play any of these games that have a pay-to-win element and they're supposedly skill-based, no one's having a good time. You're, you're lying to people. You're tricking them. No one's playing the game they want to play. They're playing some side thing or they're lost in it. If I go up against you and you've bought a shit ton of Clash of Clans cards to get ahead of me, and you're, is it that you're better? I, I don't know, so I can't tell where my skill's at, which means I can't improve because I don't know where to improve because it was... 20 bucks bought you those extra card packs that got you this special thing, or you spent $50 to go into a special dungeon to get a special item. But I don't know any of that. I just know where you're at. And I just know that I'm shittier and that's awful. That's just awful that we do that. And so for us, surround the games, specify the games, make them abstract. That's the big thing. Make it abstract and then tokenize and decentralize. Because the centralization is ultimately what makes that painful. And that's the the thing of crypto, supposedly. I mean, supposedly. <laughs> but um, decentralization of all of that gives us a chance to actually sort of protect play at the same time. Okay. And so um, would it be accurate to say that you're basically building a skill-based gaming platform with a very advanced economy that is you know, using web tree, um, functionalities. Yeah, more or less. Uh, we, we refer to it as the city, the economy, we call it the city because we look at it as trying to build out all the parts. If you have, um, in any big city, go to a major city, you have 10 stadiums for sports and you have smaller stadiums for smaller sports. Uh, if you're in New York, Name a sport you can't go see. The same when I was in Los Angeles. Everything is somewhere. You can you can drive an hour and go see a lot. But the city itself is also sort of its own conduit for how that secondary economy functions. The areas around successful stadiums, more powerful. Around shitty stadiums, uh, less so. Sometimes, I don't know if you've been, uh, Browns, the Browns Stadium is actually kind of beautiful. It's in a weird place, but it's actually kind of an incredible, like, little shopping, like, cool hub. And they have, like, the length, like... Balenciaga, I guess, but they have like a bunch of the, the crazy designer brands around it. Uh, these are economic hubs and there's a reason for that. It's because people are into this shit and they pulse in and out. And there's a, there's a heartbeat to the way that sports stadiums actually affect their areas. The flows of the economy are centered around a lot of that. And we love that metaphor. And so that's our city um, and our metagame is based on that idea very much. Got it. And, you know, um, usually the skill-based gaming platforms monetize are, are usually like wagering based and they usually take a cut of each um, match. Um, actually, before asking that, I want to ask you if you're building your own games or if you're just going to be a platform for third-party games. So both. Um, we Obviously, we have to build our own games in order to sort of have something for us to practice building the platform on. So it's we had to do that. Plus, um, you know, I, I have this running sort of semi joke. That's actually the truth is, um, all I want to do is I want to actually have my own food cart. I used to cook in kitchens and be a, a, a chef of sorts once upon a time. Um, and I just want my own food truck. I invented a fun food and I really love doing that, but I can't support my family doing that. And I've known that for forever. So what else can I do that? I love that makes money. Well, video games actually make good money. 
but I can't make the games that I like to make without having to make sort of bullshit. So, so I'm here. So I'm building a games platform to build the games that I want to make. So that way I can have a food cart. Um, but that's not, that's the reality is we're building stuff we really love in ways we want to do it. Uh, hyper systemic movement systems, not scripted, which again, if, if you want to get really wonky and nerdy into game theory, um, we've gone very heavily into a scripted, very, very bullshit way of a lot of games functioning. A lot of games have moved the other way and it's been great, but there's this gulf and it's, it's a hard one in video games. And we want to overcorrect really hard towards the systemic high, high skill ceiling, easy to pick up, hard to master sort of style of gameplay. And we want to set that example for other people who come to the platform because we will be bringing other games to the platform, many of them ideally and stuff that, um, people wouldn't necessarily expect a lot of stuff we're talking about now sounds like, Oh, it has to be competitive or sports or team versus team. And well, there's absolutely that aspect. Um, I'm looking forward to bringing in the speedrunning community. I'm a big fan of uh, speedrunners. I've been watching them for years. Uh, summoning salt on YouTube. If you're not following, you should, it's the most extraordinary set of YouTube videos, but speedrunning as a thing works on our platform because we're about the high skill ceiling. And so just finding ways to bring in uh, solitaire with ultra permadeath. Would you watch people play the best solitaire players in the world? If you knew that it was the last game, any of them would ever play because they're going to be digitally killed afterwards. If they fail, like these things become exciting in odd ways. So we're going to be bringing a bunch of stuff to the platform that isn't us and funding developers to start thinking about this. Um, and it's, again, a fortunate time because if you go to Steam or you go to, I mean, any uh, Itch.io or any of these indie sites, there's a lot of developers who are just building fun, systemic, simple games with small teams. And those are our bread and butter. And we're really excited to be able to possibly work with many of them. It's been fun to wow. talk to them. It's been fun to talk to them. But that's that's very much where we're aiming. The, the short version of the only games that don't work, because everyone always asks, well, so what can't work? It's easy. Uh, games like Diablo actually don't. And it's, it's not Diablo sword fighting or any of that. Diablo operates like a lot of games on incremental mathematics, where as you play, the game knows what level you are. So it increases the level of your enemy mathematically, and then it increases the level of drops you get. Because what it wants is it wants the very particular loop of you playing not necessarily improving. You personally can be the shittiest player in the world, never improve, but you get better items, which makes you kill higher level mobs to get better items, which makes you kill better level mobs. And you actually don't improve. Mathematically, you get better. Bullet sponge games, uh, damage sponge games, basically any game where you see the numbers appear over someone's head, uh, and that's how you know how much damage you're doing. Those games don't work for us. They're not skill-based. They're time-based. They're... Uh, meta games, uh, not knocking them. I have a lot of friends who work on them. I have, I have friends who love those games. I love them on occasion. Uh, I love the division two, for example, I was addicted to that borderlands does the same thing. Um, they're fun. They ain't for our platform because we need people to be literally the skill themselves, not inside of some numbers because they played 20 hours. And so that, uh, that's why play to earn games go that way. It's very easy to let people basically become labor, commoditize that 20 hours, and then turn that into a product that they can then sell to someone else, which is what play to earn ultimately is. We're just not doing any of that shit. So mostly the casual arcade games 
or the average match takes two to three minutes. And would it be like um, people can uh, play the not the necessarily okay not necessarily we have we have designs for games that can last weeks. It's it's about where the skill comes from and how the skill grows over time. So um, think of it like Rust. Rust is a great example of a game that works actually nicely for this, despite, oh, yeah, no, you improve, and the more time you put in, the better off you do. That's a design question. The core underlying game, the person who starts is the person who ends. There's no, I'm now, I've got, like, level 70 gear, and I'm a level 70 person doing more damage, uh, World of Warcraft-style MMO. That that level system, that's the stuff that doesn't work for us. Games that last a long time, you'd be surprised at how well they work into a system like this where... Um, you can have a lot of fun with that. Chess can last a very long time. Go can last a very long time. It's much more about, is it just a flat playing field? Is the person who started the game uh, the first day they joined, other within their own personal literal skill, is it the same player pieces? If the player pieces mathematically change over time, probably not our game. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so going back to the monetization question, again, um, I'll repeat the question, you know, usually the skill-based gaming platforms and, and actually there are a lot of like skill-based gaming platforms in India as well. And, and I think skills could also be considered the one in the US. Mm -hmm. They usually monetize by having, having like charging a commission from the, the wagers matches. Um, so how are you thinking about monetization and how did you design the economy? Yeah. So we have a handful of things. Um, the we have some level of vanity items um uh, they they're not in game uh and we haven't really fully talked about how they work but we'll just say they're not in game so you'll never actually see them but we have a really i'm really happy with our system for that the the brunt of money is made around tournaments and so it is it is similar and some people have put it into the realm of things like skills and all of that because what skills promises is that they promise that there is a tournament system that you can climb and you can become better and you can make your way to the top. It's not really how most of these operate in practice. In practice, it's a lot more of, I'm going to play solitaire and do it in a certain amount of time with the right ads playing. And if I get a certain score, they pay me, which is an odd sort of mentality around it. For us, it's literally tournaments, the same way real sports make money, the same way that um, all the way from like long drive golf competitions to lumberjack competitions on ESPN two to whatever it is, sports as a thing makes money and people make money from these tournaments because they are spectacles. And so we're taking advantage of the nature of how the internet works, uh, and the spectacle nature of it and adding the extreme spectacle of ultra permanent digital blood, basically, because we kill you and mashing this together into a tournament that as money goes in, all the players are able to be paid out. And it, we have a lot of really fun ways, again, because crypto gives us tracking abilities. So it's not just who's the top person and we pay out, you know, all the way about, great, we have a million dollar prize pot, just like Dota does, just like everyone kind of sets up, oh, the fans put in this much money or they bought this. We have a system that necessitates having a metagamer buy an agent ticket would basically you buy in and then they have to go play Moneyball and find the best players and they have to do it over the course of a thousand players. And as the sort of joke goes, I can tell you right now who the top hundred people in Dota are in any region, mm, top thousand, 
that's a different beast because suddenly you're really talking about who's best with a team, who's best in different positions. How do you find them? Well, it's, it's data, it's stats. And traditionally, games have not exposed a great deal of that, we'll say. Uh, Dota does, uh, and Dota Plus exists, and thank God for all of that. But for us, we want players to be able to own their data, which they do. You, can, you don't have to take part in any of our shit. You can just play our games for free, keep your data to yourself. No one will ever know who you are. Go have fun. But at some point, players can go, hey, I, uh, I want to take part in the pro system. At that point, your data becomes open and people can find you. And our data systems that are built very much in the way that traditional sort of stock brokering systems where you can see what the value of someone is or trace them or compare them to other people, these things are fairly rote now because of gambling industries, because of Vegas, because of stock, because of all of those systems. We're just, it's easy. Those exist. Agents then need to go find the players that they want to bring into the rounds. They pay into the rounds which we're excited about, and they're just tournaments. That money goes to the players and the developers, and that's the base of it. But that's just the base because, again, these spectacles, and they are that, they have multiple layers from advertising to sponsorships. You want to propose to your girlfriend and have it on my forehead? We can have that happen. It won't appear in-game to me as a player, but it will be on stream because our handful of broadcast streams have vanity items turned on. Like, these are very simple solves that suddenly turn this thing into an absolute and total spectacle and super fun to watch and really strange. Uh, again, as people die, they're not going to be back again, which is kind of a weird sort of secondary thing. Uh, all of this sort of blowing up and increasing, we see this being more than enough to justify uh, money for players to be able to have fun and have a lot of tournaments because it's per game, a couple of them every quarter. It's not just one game a year. It's not just one Dota tournament a year. Uh, but also developers pulling out the money they need. These teams don't have to be huge. A huge hit inside of this, as we modeled it, could do pretty well. Actually, it could do very well. But even a minor one can sustain a team to just make fun games. And we're more or less not really a huge profit center inside of this. Everything that exists is about trading back and forth and, and, and owning this decentralized sort of elements around the games rather than in it. And the games just get to sort of take off their part as they go. Okay. So in a, in a nutshell... Does that make sense? Um, yeah. 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 I think so. You know, the the, the minnows are like the, the players, the competitive gamers. They're almost like yeah. the gladiators, right? And yeah. then the agents are sponsors. And agents are the ones that are almost like financing um, the cost of entry, say, for a tournament. And um, the earnings are shared among the the, 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 the the players, the gladiators, and the sponsors. Um, so a bit similar to um, the guild scholar model, in a sense. The, the, it's, the it's, it's not the, far off. And, and uh, what Axie did, um, and I, I don't really like their overall system because I think it, it plays in some weird ways, but... Uh, the thing that's good about it, and it's the thing I think that emotionally resonates with people, is it gives people who are just playing the game don't have to spend money. People who want to spend money can spend money. That that sounds so simple, but that's a thing that I don't think three or four years ago people would have said as a set of sentences. Now, how Axie ends up doing it, it ultimately brings about basically the slavery of ultra-poverty and 
that's no good. As I like to say, white people don't gold farm. Um, and I, I think that's gross. Uh, but what taking that and building off of that and saying, well, wait, people who have money, we want them to spend it. We want people to be going, okay, so these are the five or six guys that I have in my stable. These are my players. And I've got contracts with them, public negotiated contracts, smart contracts, almost like we can control them and we can make sure they're regulated. I don't know. Is there a technology that does that? Um, and we can have that set up. So that way everyone can be aware of what the splits are. Oh, you come to me and you go, hey, Brooks, uh, I want you as my player. I'm going to put you into the tournament. And I go, cool, I want 60% of whatever I win. And you go, ah, 50%, whatever it may be. I don't spend money. There's no money. I, for me, it's, oh, you can have 60%, but you have to keep your kill-death ratio for the next three weeks above two. And you have to make sure that you play X amount. Again, the stuff we can track we can make part of that system. This is, this is what makes baseball contracts possible. Football contracts possible is they don't just go, cool. You're going to be in the team. We'll see you later. It's like, no, you have to show up to fucking, you have to show up to fucking summer, summer camp. You have to show up here. You have to show up to preseason games. You have to practice this many hours. You have to eat this certain way. You can't go do these things. There's moral clause. Like all of this shit is how real sports operates. So we just give that to, these players and the metagamers, we let them run wild and let them trade and play with people, but let people always get a cut of it. They always can get a cut of it. So if you sell me to another team, just like in the real, I get my cut of that unless we've already agreed that I can't be traded, which is a possibility. So like this, again, puts a, a power differential in a different place. The traditional model of the Axie scholarship is basically please let me have some money. I need money. This may come of that. There, there may be instances of that, but this puts far more, I'm good at the game. I'm actually skillful. It's in me. I am not fungible. People should not be fungible in labor. They shouldn't be able to be seen as that. I am as good as I am. <clears throat> There's no, uh, if you play eight hours a day, we give you free coins. None of that shit. There's none of that. It is straight up, hey, I'm one of the best people in the world, or I'm in the top thousand, I'm going to earn X amount of dollars. That's not a, I can't trade that to someone else. It's only me. And that's why these games being skill-based, again, is deeply important, because that power differential needs to be proper. The person who's the good metagamer, let them play their game. We want them to. We want the player to play their game. And we want to connect them very specifically so that way the magic circles don't get broken. So that way we know how they're behaving, where their incentives are, and keeping them aligned. So when they go through the big final matches and all of them are going up and they're dying left and right and left and right and left and right, and they're getting their money that they're getting out of it, that setup allows these people to lose their investment. These people, they lose their token. They'll have to come back next season. They're dead. Uh, they have to start from scratch. Like What they lose changes. And, and how their setup changes. And it's, again, much more like real sports. And there's some level of uh, generalized, uh, you know, power that we're able to structure. And that's, again, if we talk about what is the promise. When I first heard about crypto, I had a, the dude come to me in, I want to say, 20, 2011, and uh, convinced me to buy a, a Bitcoin, which I did, and I've lost it since, so it doesn't matter. But... Uh, I made a lot of money off that purchase, though, I will tell you, in Fantasyland. 
Um, but uh, as he explained it to me, this was the goal. This is supposedly the goal of all of crypto is to eliminate power differentials, that the idea of these centralized banks or centralized control should go away. And I agree with that. I do not like power structures. I am very, 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 very much against it. I've spent years studying leftist hardline thinkers, like critical thinkers, uh, Deleuze, Michel Serre, uh, just phenomenal, phenomenal thinkers in that direction. And it's, it's about destroying power structures and, and giving people their own power. And if we can do that, uh, it's not 100% there, but it's a hell of a step, especially in a world where basically to make a video game, I have to kind of start by telling you how we're going to make 10x the money by selling shitty pictures to people. And it's like, great, great. Okay, this is very exciting. So basically players can be NFTs almost. It's, it's almost like the real Players sports. are the NFTs. Players are this, NFTs. This, this comes from, I was watching a stream when I was... When I, when I was doing those practices with wax and everything, it was like on the ascent of the NFT. There was, uh, I want to say, 20, end of 2019 or 20, I want to say end of 2019. Uh, it was like right before Beeple, like did did the big sale. And if you were watching Twitch during that like month and a half, two months, right around at both sides, what you saw was a lot of people showing off their NFT collections. And it was it was weird. It was new. People didn't, no one shows off pictures like so it was really cool to watch and i was watching this one dude who was flipping through his open sea and he got a 404 because it turned out one of the things he bought fucking wasn't actually made by the person and they got dmca'd it was kind of funny i have to admit but he was he wasn't mad like it was a weird thing to watch he he was bereft like he he thought this was his like it's his to control, mine to do what I want with. It's the same way that, like, if I own a painting, like a real painting, it's that same feeling of, oh, oh, God, it tore in the move, or it broke in half, or the, the, the frame broke and cut down the middle of it. It's gone. He wasn't angry. He was sad. And it was, oh, fuck, this, it, I recognized the feeling. It was despair. It was loss. He experienced loss and digitally that's not a thing that exists for us. Like loss isn't a thing. Uh, I, at least as far as the world goes, I, I will often, and I'm not alone in this. I'll do a clean out of a Dropbox or a hard drive. And then I'll just realize I just don't even care. Like whatever. I'll delete huge swaths of files without even looking at them because what the fuck ever, like, whatever, I'll find it later or I'll look back or, but he lost this. And it was this moment I went, Oh shit. Because for years I've been trying to make, um, I've been trying to make The Running Man. <laughs> it's like the worst movie ever, but it's like my favorite film. I fucking love The Running Man. Uh, aside from like it being this sort of perfect 1980s film, sci-fi film, it always felt to me like it was a perfect video game. Like it would just make sense. It's a handful of people being chased by fucking weirdos with crazy weapons. That seems like a perfect, easy, done, slap it in, put the mechanics in video game, but it's not because if you build it, there's two things that happen. One is the smart players who are the runners. If you're playing the runner, the smart players hide and hiding man is the fucking most boring game that has ever existed. Uh, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. The, 
The other thing that happens is if that person is outside, outsized your skill and they're significant better, it ends up being like when I play chase with my son in the yard. Uh, he really is working his heart out to catch me. I am not. I Because uh, my joke goes, I could turn around and just punch him in the face and win. Like, I'm not scared of my son. And people in the game, if you're way better, you're not scared of the person chasing you. And that sucks. And so you end up in this like, oh, no, you're coming to get me. And then you slow down because you want to feel the thrill that is gone. This gave me a moment where I'm like, wait. And that's where I built the Minecraft thing, this NFT where that's tied to you. If you if it dies, you die. You if, if you die, we delete it and you can't access that world anymore. And it was this weird moment of like digital death. And that became you like if there is an interesting thing for us to have in games for me and with the surge in permadeath with the surge in what people wanting these intense experiences with the way it changes how you watch a game go watch any game and then just pretend in your head like just make up in your head that you're watching the last time this person will play a game if they die that the intensity is huge you'll watch someone play fucking solitaire like it's 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 amazing and so if you are the NFT, and they are in our system, and it's not a tradable or any bullshit NFT, it's just tracks your stats, it's your setup, it's tied to you, KYC, like we're KYCing people, it's be, be very aware, we're not going to fuck with that. But suddenly people, it matters, your decisions matter, every choice matters, much more like the real world. And that's fun. Like that's shit that we've never been able to play with like as a, as designers. And it's been a blast to talk with people about. It's been super fun. Sorry for the extra ramble. I know it wasn't technically what you were asking, but. No, no, that's, that, that, that that's great. So the, the players are NFTs, the, the gladiators, the, 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 the minnows and, um, the, the, the capitalists, the sponsors are able to trade them, right? More almost or less. Like, yes. Almost like football teams or managers trading football players or yeah, know, baseball players, all of that, free agents, all those fun things. Exactly. So here's what came to my mind immediately: like, how do you enforce? Um, how do you legally enforce that players would actually play their best? And how how can you um, minimize fraud? Meaning, like the the ideas that come to my mind, you know. Um, Maybe the player decides that he doesn't want to play anymore um, at at after he's being bought by someone else. Oh yeah, no the, the, the traditional the traditional story of the boxer taking the dive in his last match, right? Like like in the real world, we have those stories and we have those movies about those moments. Um, so I have two answers. Uh, the first is um, we. Generally speaking, we know this doesn't happen in the real sports world, like generally speaking. So it's it's an edge case regardless, but that it is an edge case, and this is maybe not the answer you're expecting, we think that's awesome. So there's a level where we can absolutely keep track of a person playing, how they're setting up, and we will have that. So you can, as I mentioned, your contract for your player, uh, players have to play a certain number of hours, they have to keep a kill-death ratio up, like the stuff that matters. We want you to be able to you know, know that the person's coming. If they fail to do that, everything reverts. You get that stuff back. It's all, it's all, you're, you're all gravy. If someone decides to go outside of our system and pay another player to take a dive against another thing, 
that's how sports works. Like there's that's that's just humanity. There's nothing you can do to prevent true cheating. There's nothing. We can do everything we can to prevent it from happening in imperceptible technical ways beneath the surface. That's 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 our job. But if we end up in a scandal where a team, you know, gets up to the top and someone paid them a million dollars uh to take a dive so that way the other guys would win and they do that. I that's cool. I I don't know. I think that's amazing. This is the this is where um the realities of the world are what make these things good. If we didn't have the chance of that being the case, if we didn't have the oddness of the human condition that is surrounding it, if we didn't have the chance, it wouldn't make the rest of it meaningful. Like that's, that's how this works. It's you have to allow all the possibilities of every potentiality to be part of the thing for the thing to have any meaning when it becomes actualized. The moment that someone wins, the huge giant moments of cheering and everything, what we can prevent, we can prevent Tom Brady under inflating footballs. Like we can stop that shit. That's the bullshit technical cheating. We can actually stop and we can do an extraordinary job in basically eliminating that. We have some really cool tech we're working with that uh, changes things from being client side to being server side. Pretty cool and kind of eliminates a lot of those problems. But the human, man, that's the part that's awesome. Like everyone's kind of got the chance to be a complete piece of shit. I mean, that's, and that's what makes it great. Wait, crypto as a thing, the excitement of it is part of that. What's happened with FTX, what's happened, we all knew getting into the space that we're taking chances on humans. That's how it works. And we all don't like that necessarily because maybe we all have pretty much the same view of humans being a bit more cynical or maybe we're a bit more faithful. But Humans have, as long as there is the open potential, humans can do almost anything. And that means the bad and the good. But if you remove the bad, by the way, you're also cutting off a lot of the good at the same time. Potential collapses pretty much across the board. So there's some things that we're like, there's only so much we can do. And if we end up in a big thing and uh, some of our people have to testify in front of Congress like they had to do for Pete Rose and the betting scandal, that's, that means we've, we're there. That means we've arrived. Like that's, that's, if we're worth that level of shit, we've arrived. Awesome. And so you have three uh, sets of tradable assets, as I've seen from the white paper, mm -hmm. you have the NER token, you have the, the, the land, uh, NFTs, and you have a stable coin, which, um, is interesting. Well, so yeah, the, 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 the token, the NOR token fate, um, is a unique one. And so I, I want to, I want to just add to that. We also have a, a fuck ton of other things. We're, we're utilizing NFTs uh, sort of across the board, similar to how other people are doing it. We just aren't letting them be in game power purchases or affect gameplay. So it's, uh, it. we're still going to have vanity items. They're just not in game, which sounds weird. We'll get to there at some point, but um, so we have a lot of other things. I just want but um, yeah, our, our main one is going to be uh, we have, effectively every player there's some level of you can have land uh and fate and fate is the underpinning token for our entire economy and it is a i'm hesitant to call it a stable coin because that's not really how like we're not setting it up to be that way it's not a stable coin in the sense that 
there's an unlimited amount. Like USDC, there's kind of no topper. Like, and Tether, there was no like there was no topper to this. You could just have as much as possible. Mm-hmm. We've limited it exceptionally. It's 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 much more in line with like uh, I don't know how to put it. Um, I don't know, like like chips at a poker table. Mm-hmm. Like we, there's only so many. Each one is the value that it is, and that never changes. And um, the way we're 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 working with it is um, as the economy is smaller, and we don't because we don't want to be outsized. We, if we only have two or three games, we are not a billion dollar economy. We're not silly, like a, a few projects who believe that one game economy can be a billion. We aren't that. We're we're aware. We know we know right sizing it. But if we have a hundred games, yeah, maybe we're actually pretty close to that. So being able to size it according to how many games there are. So we just go, let's say, you know, uh, X percent of tokens. So let's say, you know, a hundred tokens per game that exist in the world. It'll be more than this, but math, I suck at math. So it's just easier to be this way. Um, we have that many that are going to be in the world. This is the size of the economy at any time is a hundred tokens. But we, we put a hundred dollars into that contract. And so there's a hundred dollars backing that hundred fate. Uh, and as it starts, we distribute to everybody in the platform, everyone who has land and everyone who has one of our aspects of the second, third, fourth, et cetera. Uh, everyone gets a fraction of that piece of the economy and it's distributed. There's no cost to it. It's you're there, you're there day one, out it goes. And then we start and we start selling things ourselves. The platform starts selling stuff. Uh, it, uh, buildings and contracts and tickets to stuff and all, all kinds of shit, wild hats, um, avatar pictures. We'll have a bunch of shit for people to buy. And if you go, hey, I like that uh, I like that hat. Here's Two Fate. You buy it for Two Fate for us. We don't recognize revenue there. Instead, we put that Two Fate right back up for sale. There's a process to it. It's a whole thing we'll be getting into another time. But because it's not just something you can bot. Don't get excited, bot people. But that two goes back out, and someone buys it for $2. Now, the weird thing about how we're setting this up, and it's a weird sort of nature of, and again, it's we're not casino gambling. This is not that. But it's the way that these things work once we start layering in a second coin or a second value. Suddenly, that those two fate technically are back double, because that those two... To fit does two, U, two U.S. dollars stay in that contract? Well, let's say that happens 50 more times and another $100 is in that contract. Now the entire economy is actually double-backed. That's not unreasonable to think we can get there. It's actually not unreasonable to think we can get to 3, 4, 5, 6, 7x. At, at that point, why should we have fate still behave the same? It's one of the beauties of crypto. There's a lot of we're playing with a lot of things that no one's done in crypto, despite crypto being totally all these things all the time. Every, every token's technically a virtual machine. We can program what it does and how it behaves. And we can have that set pre the season. So we can go, Hey, um, at, uh, once it's backed eight X, uh, the token suddenly, uh, in, in decides to invest in two pieces of land randomly. And just like half the token just goes to those. Like, just, I don't know. Like, we can do, do stupid shit. I'm trying not to be very specific because we want the community to come up with and vote on. Our, our governance system is going to control a lot of what happens at each one of these. But the beauty is underneath it, 
that USDC, every time we lock another multiple, that's another multiple we can use to build out the platform. So if we get to 2x, okay, uh, at the end of the season, we can pay you out. You get your money back. Great. What do you mean by 2x, by the way? Is it 2x price? No, no, 2x backing. Token is always worth a dollar. Like, it never changes. We don't ever have the token worth more. Instead, we have it backed by more, which means we can actually spend that USDC on things. So the so it's, fate, I mean, the fate token is backed by more. No, the fate token is backed by the contract that the fate token is in. Okay, which so, token are you? Yeah, US, USDC. So our contract for fate has a hundred fate in it, right? And we, we, me, Brooks, put a hundred USDC in that contract, and we link them. So one fate to one USDC. And we say it's worth one, that's it, and we distribute it. At some point, it goes back in, and we put it back up for sale, and someone buys it for one USDC. Now the second one's in there. Once we get to a point, all of the fate is technically backed 2x, or 3x, or 4x, right, at each one of those, and we can change what each one of those things do at the end of the season. So for example, uh, at the end of the season, let's say we reach 3x backing and it's locked and we're, we're in like 4x territory. We're on our way. We don't quite get there. That's fine. What we do is that first bit is actually the beginning of the next. It locks and becomes the contract for the next season. So the season is always ready to go, always has USDC for it. The second bit we use to fund other games coming to the platform. And we can have that multiple be the way that the the entire thing grows. We can have the multiple be the way that everyone gets paid out. We can have the multiple do all kinds of strange things because every time we have another backing of it, because we're not necessarily pulling that as revenue, we're keeping those things in the contract. The contract can pay out and we can have these things set up before the season starts. So the metagamers are aware if we can get to an 8x multiple, then that means next season we're going to have grants for two more games to join the platform, which we'll be able to choose as part of our quorum and government system. But we'll also maybe have party hats that get distributed to everyone. Like we can do a lot of weird shit. Uh, maybe if we get to 10x, the, the tokens all double. Maybe because it just can change. The point being, um, and I'm not being super creative with it because it's early in the morning for me and I've slept poorly, but the point being, instead of having these things be speculative instruments that I can go wild with and ultimately become centralized, what if in that contract, which no one owns, like this is not our thing, this is not a, it's, it's, it's everyone's kind of thing. As that money fills up, let's have that pay out decentrally and actually grow the economy and do things inside of it based on its scale. So that way we're always right-sized. If we have a season that ends up underperforming, this is a self-corrective method. Uh, so the way it works is we pay out, at the end of the season, we pay everyone out their token that they have, their fate. We destroy all the fate that is in our ecosystem. We pay out USDC. So you're always safe to kind of be playing. We're never gonna fuck with people. We're not dickheads. And it's never going to be a speculative thing. You're always going to be able to be paid out one USDC, right? Uh, so it's a safe, easy meta game for people to play in. What we can do is if we underperform, we only get two, three, or four X, or we get nine, 10, 11 X. This means that our economy is actually larger than we're prepared for. And the next season, we can bring in more games in order to fill that up. 
But if we underperform, it means we also can cut games back. So we can, instead of, boy, our economy is the wrong size for our product, which is the vast majority of crypto, like whether it's too big or too small, ev everyone's fucked up in crypto. This gives us a self-correcting mechanism every almost every quarter where we're constantly resetting, starting over, and right-sizing. Resetting, starting over, right-sizing. And so as crypto winter happens, we will be able to contract and survive. And if bull run happens, we'll be able to expand and not just stick with two or three games, but instead expand the entire economy and its functionality in order to encompass that. Oh, suddenly you hit 5X. Hey, look, go to Binance. These liquidity pools have opened. I have no idea. People are going to do weird shit with this. And the idea is to give them the underlying system and then run with it because it is a self-correcting, crash-proof, safe metagame. And that's, I don't know of any other, anyone else who's doing anything like this. And it's weird. I know it's tough for, I'm not explaining it perfectly here. I apologize. Our, our white paper goes through it really, really carefully. Um, and we'll be, I think, releasing a lot more, especially as we finish doing models and a few more things that really, really show off those bits. But I'm super jazzed about it because no one else has done this kind of play. And this gives us a weird safety of knowing that we'll never get to be, if someone comes in and decides to you know, go wild and go to speculative liquidity pools, maybe they can't. Maybe we just don't allow it until it's five or six X because we don't want someone destroying our fucking economy that way. But if we're large enough, why not let that happen and let all the people who are just there still have their fate back dollar to dollar? So that way they always have that sort of purse to go back to. There's always money in the banana stand. There's always that little bit. So that way people don't get fucked by speculators and speculators are free to run wild without getting sort of held back by everyone else. It's a bit of both worlds, uh, I think, in a really weird way. So if you go step by step, like um, the, the, the sponsors are paying for the tournament entries, let's say mm -hmm. they pay in the fate currency, the one mm -hmm. that's backed by USDC and the payouts are also made by you to the, to the winner players, winner sponsors in the fate currency. And, and you do get a cut from, from the, um, the cost and, and their worst so fate. Anything that's related to a specific game, the developer gets a cut. Uh, anything that's related to the overall platform, we get a cut to maintain and keep it running. Uh, and it's, uh, I think it, we're, we're aiming at 9% sort of across the board yep. right now. Uh, and again, there are some very specific pur purchases that operate slightly differently. Uh, buying land, for example, is straight up from the platform. But based on where you buy it and who it's connected to and its relationship to the stadiums, stadiums also actually see some part of that because again the relationships of everything is how we want to pay out conversely a ticket to a game uh if i if i'm buying if you're my athlete we've decided you're going to co-compete in <coughs> brooks's game x i get a ticket that money goes into the prize pot and that prize pot is like dota and like league split between the developer and all the players and that doesn't really give us a cut. We don't really get a piece of that. So it's a different setup sort of across the board, depending on where the purchase is made and how. And there's a handful of purchases. Again, my game is my game. So uh, I, I would hope you'd support it. But um, it's intended to be like this weird network effect where everyone gets a little piece of almost everything. 
um, even if it's tiny, tiny bits, landowners, uh, you know, partake in sort of influence games that they're near their votes are more powerful for games. They're right next to versus other ones. It's all about relationships. And, uh, again, it's why we're using the city as, uh, the underlying sort of push for that. Okay. And the, the, the earnings go to, when you say the earnings come through, like we, we receive the earnings that is the equity entity, right? Consortium 9. No, uh, we, yes. Well, if I'm talking about the games, yes. We were talking about Consortium 9. So our games that are coming out, yes. Uh, okay. the, the platform and everything else, there's a lot of uh, for sh shit for us to figure out there. Uh, so okay. I would say, yes, there's there's parts of that that are, in order to maintain, There's a, it's, I wouldn't call it revenue because <laughs> this is not going to be a cheap thing to run. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, we've got, we've, we're basically taking a percent everywhere. Um, and 9% is not significant given that basically yeah. it's completely free games, free hosting, free infrastructure, free streaming, and all that stuff. Uh, and it's, again, decentrally controlled, so it's not really from one single source. It's We have a lot of governance and a lot of things in place to make sure developers are even involved in that process of making sure that things are built in the order they need um, and that things are secure, all that fun stuff. So it's it's deeply complicated in terms of answering that directly, but yeah, we take our cut because it's, uh, you know, I look at steam taking 30% of everything and giving almost nothing back, like almost yeah. nothing. Um, and Apple, I think, uh, very much the same Google play very much the same and in 9% seems very, very reasonable for basically all of it and no Definitely. charges to end users. Definitely. I mean, I, the, the reason why I ask this is because, like, I was trying to mention whether the equity entity receives the the cut, or is it the the NOR token entity? Um, because no, the the NOR token entity is straight up only what happens with the NOR token. Okay. So that that wallet does not get anything except for literal transactions in the economy. So if you're purchasing from the platform. That is that is the contract completely. Now, if you're making, there are certain purchases from the platform that we take a cut of because you're buying from literally us, uh, and it's not really set up that way. There is, we'll say, a, a gradient of purchases all the way from the most extreme, which is like if you're buying Consortium Nine Hats, for example. That's a little different, but all the way down to like if you're buying items for a game, a, a hat in a game because the developer is there. How do we get cuts of that? How is it set up? Well, that's very different. And so it's it's going to be very uh, set up more case by case and all that. But it is intended that uh, purchasing and keeping that backing is sacrosanct to us because the number one thing we want to make sure we get to is uh, every fate token that a person has, every fate token always has a dollar behind it. Um, and if the U.S. dollar falls apart, we have bigger problems than fate. Uh, basically. So if fate is backed, then our, our metagame's safe and we can be in a different place of allowing people to play, we think, in a really unique way. Got it. So every payment that is made with the NOR token, and I assume these are mostly NFT sale, cosmetic sale, or, you know, stadium sale, land sale, um, the earnings will, the inflows would flow to the NOR token. So if I am buying NOR token, I am more or less speculating on the fact that the underlying 
um, demand you're, for. You're not speculating. You are specifically buying it because you need to use it. Like it's 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 a hundred percent a utility thing. Uh, think of it as virtual currency inside of any game. You don't buy V bucks because you think the V bucks may do X, Y, or Z. Uh, you're buying it because you need to use V bucks to buy stuff. And so to buy stuff in our cur- in our economy, there's no way to buy things without using fate. It's it's necessary to us that we have that that locked in. So items in the games, uh, items in the things, buying tickets, anything that's being done with fate across the board, uh, you have to use fate for. It has to be done inside of our economy. And so it's much more about the utility of it and the use case than anything speculative. Speculative oh, is my mistake. I, I I thought there were two tokens. I thought there was a North nope, token. No, there's just token. the one. There's just okay. the one. <clears throat> there's no North token. Yeah, yeah. It's again. It's it's weird because everyone else has two tokens. They, they what? Well, to say another way, what everyone else does is they build their token because they want that sweet, sweet, sweet money, and then they go, "Oh shit! It's a security. I'm going to go to jail." Uh, we have a governance token and a fungible token. It was bullshit. We don't do that. Uh, our token, and it's not really, it's a fungible token, sort of, but it's not because it's, it's new. So it's a really weird thing. Um, it's, it's not set up in the same way. So it's very much, this is what people use to do anything in our game. Uh, the NFTs mixed with this, uh, are kind of setting up the base of the economy, but there is no governance token. No one has, you know, if I have, I have 5% of the token, so therefore I have 5% of the vote. We don't do that. Um, we have a one-person, one-vote uh, quorum that is based on sortition. Uh, sortition, if, if uh, my favorite governance system, random chance. <laughs> so uh, everyone who's part of our economy, you've got a shot to be involved. There's some things you can do to increase it a little bit more. Uh, we have some fun sort of uh, inner world sort of narrative stuff and some other behaviors. But everyone has a chance to be on every council. And then you're out, and then randomly we choose more. So we're doing a lot of really weird stuff, I think, and it's a lot of interconnected weird stuff. And that's uh, kind of the the reason it's fun to talk about this and, and get to is because underneath it, a lot of people's assumptions, and it's everyone makes them. Uh, there's a, the old um, uh, Donald Rumsfeld, and I know I'm dating myself as an old person here. Uh, Donald Rumsfeld during the, first, the second Iraq war said there are no knowns and there are known unknowns and there are unknown unknowns and it's a famous quote because everyone kind of makes fun of him for it and it's a decent line he's talking about like there's things you're aware of that you're aware of like what you know <clears throat> and then there's the things you don't know uh, like that you know that you are not you don't know i i don't know uh, you know, what I'm doing tomorrow. I don't know if the sun's going to come. Like, there's stuff that we sort of, and then there's stuff we are not aware of that we're not aware of. What most people forget, though, is there's a fourth quadrant in that box, and it is the unknown knowns. It's the stuff that you do not know that you are certain of. And that sounds silly and contradictory, but it's the assumptions you make that are so baked into you that you forget that they're just assumptions. And, uh, Crypto is filled with a lot of people who have been told things that are only a certain way or have been doing things for so long. And I'm one of them. It, uh, until Axie came out and said, well, what, what about NFTs being lent to people? And, and that, wait, what? I thought I you could only own, wait, what? And so that shift, well, 
we want to make that same shift with token. We want that level of change for people to go. It, tokens don't have to be speculative. Speculation can be about the work a person's doing underneath. Where we want speculation is I want speculation of players. I want people to be wondering, is this going to be the hot guy? I, I need to know. Is this, the chi- is this the chick who's going to be the fucking best player at this? I want that. Spe- I want people to be speculating about activity and events, and I want that thing. Uh, I want the token to be what powers that, but I don't want people to give a shit about it. Just like no one specu- like speculating in, U- in U.S. currency, I know it exists, and so... Yes, please, YouTube comments, be kind to me, and I know it exists. But when I say, like, that's not what it's for. And that's a stupid, weird thing to do is speculating on the U.S. dollar. Speculating on foreign smaller currencies when you have the U.S. dollar. That's the Warren Buffett move. And that's where you start. That's where this stuff, we don't want that. That's, That's how you destroy economies and people's lives and all kinds of shit. We want people to speculate on people. We want the what what the stock market is intended for. And again, in spirit and what crypto is intended for, you'll notice I use these words a lot in my belief. Uh, Hey, I think this business is going to be a big deal and be successful. Cool. I will give it money. That sounds stupid to say out loud because we know that's not how anything works anymore. It's all about like credit default swaps and like how much of a package can you make of the company that's now going bankrupt that you can leverage to the hilt. Like we know, but underneath it, that's what the shit's supposed to be about. So I want you to come to us and I want you to run a business. I want you to have a stable of athletes with your team tower. I want you to have an advertising tower where you're selling advertising space inside of the games and the streams and tokenizing all of this, making sure it's for sale on ultimately external markets, some level of internal to maintain controls. I want people to speculate on their own ability to be good at a business because I think underneath metagamers and all the shit we've talked about with Diablo and everything else, the thing that they want, and I believe this is true of every metagamer, is a game that is difficult that they can be proud of being successful at. That's that's the Jeff Bezos fantasy. Getting worked as deep as he did into things or how fucked up people get into it or becoming Sam Bankman or any of this shit. Yeah, no. What they want is they want, I want to be able to make money with my money. And I want to be able to show people I'm fucking really good at it. And I want to give you that game. And I want to make sure it's not one where you're going to lose your fucking shirt. There you go. That's a short version of why I'm doing NOR. Sorry for the ramble. I got a little. One final question. Um, So just trying to better understand the token. So in the white paper, you're saying that initial circling supply is going to be 100 million. The total supply is going to be 10 billion. uh, And it's backed. Uh, one-to-one by USDC. Mm-hmm. Now, I assume you don't have $100 million backing the, the token, right? No, no. Again, this is this is based on as the games are released, the percentage mm-hmm. of them coming with it, and then the economy being able to grow over time. There's a combination of things that have to happen there to get to those larger okay. numbers. I'm not silly to think that... It, forget having not having $100, $100 million, because you're right, I don't. Um, but it, is any game economy... Like that we're talking about, worth, is it worth a hundred million dollars? No, it, three games. No, ten games, twenty games. Now we're talking about yes, maybe. And so as these things grow and as they become back differently, and as this setup sort of happens where we hit our limit, hundred games, a thousand games, this changes how all of that means something. 
And so the goal is, again, this corrective mechanism. As we expand, at first, it's going to be not great. It's going to be a handful of games, um, maybe a ton. I'm, I shouldn't say that, but three games, smaller setup, smaller economy. We're, we're aiming for that. And if it turns out we've, we've short-sighted, then the next season we'll be able to expand it significantly. And that's the goal. Got it. Okay. Any news announcements, plans you want to share with the audience? Well, this would be it. Uh, as we're doing this, I'm about to, uh, uh, I think at noon, so in two hours, I'm announcing this to my Discord. Uh, so we have the white paper out, and we're spending time with the Discord in just two hours. So this would be it. It's uh, t Check out the white paper. Uh, spend some time with it. Um, we are really excited to be able to get this out here and have people see the entirety of the economy, how we're setting things up, and how we're thinking through things. And the more people spend time really digging into it and seeing our vision, I think the more people who are in that metagamer space, which is, to be frank, pretty much everyone in crypto, they're seeing that there's another path behind this, besides this weird, hyper-speculative, chasing the next big thing crash that yields nothing but sorrow and pain, to be perfectly frank. Um, and we can do that same excitement, but make it fun. And make a lot more of a, of a thing out of it, especially for people who don't want to be a part of it. Because I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm not a metagamer. I'm, I'm ready for being one of the shittier skill-based gamers, but I'm ready for that. Nice. Bruce, this was awesome. Thanks for joining again. It was a pleasure. Yeah, for sure, man. Thanks for having me. This is always fun. Listener, thanks for listening, and see you on another episode.